Good morning and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, A Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Christy and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Tuesday, February 12th. And today we are reading from the big book. We are at page 125 in the first full paragraph that starts with We Families of Alcoholics Anonymous. Today's readers are Eddie, Kim, Paula, and Marsha. The reference number for Monday, February 11th, is 3870. 3870. The OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. This meeting's primary purpose is to abstain, to recover from compulsive overeating, and to carry this message of recovery to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Hoodie to read the 12 steps, please. Good morning, this is Hoodie, Compulsive Overeater. The 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. And 12, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we try to carry this message to other compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Hoodie. I will now ask Marietta to read the 12 traditions, please. Hi, this is Marietta. Uh, from Virginia, and the 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends on OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself and our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. 
Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry the message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions. Ever reminded us to place principles before personalities. And this is Marietta, and I pass. Thank you, Marietta. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone, except the speakers, should be muted. Today we resume our study of the Big Book. We're on page 125, and we're in the first full paragraph beginning with We Families. I will ask Eddie to begin reading, please. Good morning, this is Eddie, grateful recovered compulsive overeater in Virginia. We families of Alcoholics Anonymous keep few skeletons in the closet. Everyone knows about the other's alcoholics' troubles. This is a condition which in ordinary life would produce untold grief. There might be scandalous gossip, laughter at the expense of other people, and a tendency to take advantage of intimate information. Among us, these are rare occurrences. We do talk about each other a great deal, but we almost invariably temper such talk by a spirit of love and tolerance. Good morning again. This is Eddie in Virginia. Um, This is very true in um, any group that I've ever been a part of. Um, It's it's amazing how you can um, sit and listen to other people share um, and and think to yourself, I thought I thought my, my my home was the only place that happened, or geez, I thought I was the only one who did that, um, and realize that um, you know you're you're not that unique. You're not, and, and more importantly, you're not alone. 
And I guess that, to me, that's the strength of the program, to know that um, you are not alone. And uh, some of the crazy, stupid, dangerous, uh, incredibly bizarre things that I've done, um, other people have done too. And, um, you know, you don't, you don't feel – I guess I didn't feel like such an oddball anymore once I got into the group and, um, you know, realized that there are other people, you know, whose families have the same issues as mine did, um, you know, who have the same – what we were just reading, skeletons in the closet um, as mine did, and, that even, and when they brought theirs to life, uh, to the light of day, um, you know, they're, they're still – not only are they still here – but uh, they're living. They were living a much fuller and um, contented um, life than I was. And so, you know, one of the things that showed me that there was nothing really to be afraid of. You know, that other families had issues, um, and that by um, working on them in the love and spirit of this program, um, they were able to find that way of life, that peace, that inner peace, um, that allowed them to live uh, one day at a time, recovered. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Eddie. Would anyone like to share on this paragraph? You will need to morning, press star is... one to unmute. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Uh, good morning. This is Margaret in South Jersey, compulsive reader. Go good morning, Margaret. Christy. Good morning, um, Vision for You. I've been thinking a lot about this paragraph, not actually about this paragraph, but about you know this meeting uh, that you know we get to hear people recover and. and and be recovered, and, and they can tell us how to do it. It's like I've heard on the slide, it's like a big show and tell. Because I, uh, for many, many years, was in the program. I heard a lot about the problem, and I, every once in a while I would see somebody that I knew really had something. I knew they had recovered, but I didn't know how. And I would ask them, and they would want to tell me. It wasn't like they were withholding. But they really weren't sure how to pass it on, like we've, you know, like we've heard in this this room here. And when people share their uh, problems and their issues and then, and then share specific examples of how they change that, I mean, that to me has been the most wonderful thing that I can look at something and, and see just recently how I can connect that more solidly to a principle, connect my uh, on awakening more solidly to the day that's ahead. By you know, able by somebody and people telling me and showing me by example how they have done it, then I can trudge along with them and find a way out. And if we didn't share our problems, if we if we kept them all to ourselves, how could anybody else really get well? And where would the hope be? But when I hear people who have had the same problems or had similar problems and have uh, shared their solution. You know, it's a miracle. It's a miracle in my life, and I'm sure a miracle on the, uh, the lives of many, many people on this line. And I am just very, very grateful that people are willing to do this. And uh, with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Margaret. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph? This is Robin Christie. <clears throat> Robin, go ahead. Hi, this is Robin. I'm a compulsive overeater. Um, when, as I'm reading this paragraph, I'm thinking about all the other problems that families have um, in our, my family, certainly. Um, and so much of how I used to look at life was filtered through my character defects. And when somebody would come to me with a problem or if there was a problem in the house, 
um, my tendency had been to look at everything very negatively. And if there was a problem, sometime, you know, sometimes a mean-spiritedness would come up in me that would surprise me, certainly, but was always there. It was like, uh, you know, I would always kind of have everything, I'd look at everything through a negative filter. And I, I think what I'm being told in this paragraph is, you know, there there are going to be problems in a family. There are problems in life. There are other skeletons in the closet that need to be taken out. And as I take them out and air them to the world, or as other people in my family do that, or other people in my program do that, my job is to not look at them and talk about them in a mean-spirited way. Um, and thank God for anonymity. I love how we talk about the tool of anonymity at our meetings um, because what I'm taught with anonymity is that your story is yours and my story is mine. And I can talk about my story, but I don't get to talk about your story. Um, if you bring it up and we talk about it and you make fun of yourself, then we can laugh about it, but I don't get to laugh at you at your expense. Uh, and and the, the idea of being mean-spirited just keeps coming to the forefront of my mind here because that is certainly the way I used to act out. Um, and when I have my higher power in my back pocket, <laughs> when I'm living a life with my higher power, uh, and, and I look at everything as my higher power can see everything that I do and everything that I think and everything that I say. And because of that, it um, spurs me to be a better person. It spurs me on to be a better person when I'm interacting with you, when I'm talking about things that are happening in my home, when I'm looking at things that are happening around me. So, you know, once again, as we've talked about so many times with, with in these chapters, is it's all about my higher power. If If I am looking at what would my higher power have me do or say in this circumstance, um, then I can stay clean, and then the mean-spiritedness stays out of my conversations. With that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Robin. Would anyone else this like to share on this paragraph? This is Sonia. Sonia, go ahead. Hi, everybody. This is Sonia. I'm a compulsive overeater. And um, this paragraph, you know, what was shared with me about this chapter is that it is a chapter that can help me to practice the principles in all of my affairs. And certainly gossip um, was a character defect of mine because I felt so horrible about myself. I was projecting out on others all the time, trying to keep it away from looking at my stuff. And this paragraph that was shared with me really gives me some guideposts on, um, on relationships 101 with others. And in particular with gossip, I was given some questions to ask myself because how do I know if I'm really talking about someone out of care and concern or if it is gossip? And a few things were shared with me. One from Tradition 10, um, just an idea. It's the mind your own business tradition and the idea that, you know, I can ask myself three questions when I am wondering, is, does this, is this something that needs to be said? And that's question number one, does it need to be said? Question number two, does it need to be said by me? And question number three, does it need to be said by me right now? And if the answer to those, all three of those is yes, sometimes I still need to wonder, pause and wonder just because I'm, have, I'm questioning it and just talk to my sponsor about it. And the other thing that was shared with me is that if I am not willing to call the person and to express my care and concern to them directly, 
I need to check myself on am I really talking about this um, for information only or is it truly out of care and concern? Because if I cared so much, um, would I also not be calling and expressing my care and concern to them? So some helpful things that have um, you know, helped me to take this paragraph and ask myself some questions to get down to that is, is it out of care and concern. Thank you. Thank you, Sonia. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph? Hi, this is Marietta. Marietta, go ahead. Uh, what I see in that is the spirit of love and tolerance. And, you know, I was directed back to page 84 when it says love and tolerance is the code that we're to live by. And, you know, for myself, I like to look at does it fall under any, does it fall under love or tolerance? And if it doesn't, then I need to take a look at, you know, what is my motive? And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Marietta. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph? Why don't we move to the next paragraph? Kim, would you please read that next paragraph? Thanks, Christy. Another principle we observe carefully is that we do not relate intimate experiences of another person unless we are sure he would approve. We find it better when possible to stick to our own stories. A man may criticize or laugh at himself and it will affect others favorably. But criticism or ridicule coming from another often produces the contrary effect. Members of the family should watch such matters carefully. For one careless, inconsiderate remark has been known to raise the very devil. We alcoholics are sensitive people. It takes some of us a long time to outgrow that serious handicap. And good morning, my fellows. My name is Kim J. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. And this is a very um, prophetic paragraph. You know, we are to stick to our own stories. You know, and someone had mentioned gossip. I think that's a big thing a lot of us do. And this is not what this program is about. What is the purpose of a meeting? The purpose of a meeting is to carry this message to, the, to this compulsive overeater who still suffers. And this message is the 12 steps. This message is that we can recover from this seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. So I also not only think we need to stick to our own stories, but this is not a place for us to, like, you know, do a fifth step. This is not a place for us to, to uh, confess every single dirty little thought that goes through our minds. We are here to share experience, strength, and hope, which means that I'm going to share that I wasn't the problem and I am no longer there. And when we do that, a lot of this stuff goes away. Because if we're sharing our own experience, strength, and hope, then we're not going to be sharing other people's stories. If we are sharing our experience, strength, and hope, then we're not going to be sharing something that we're afraid someone else is going to go out there and talk about. And I know for myself, I'm the daughter of a compulsive overeater. Me and my mother live in the same area. So I know, I don't think anyone's going to meanly say something to me, but they might go up to my mom and say, I, oh, I love the way your daughter handled X, Y, or Z. Well, my mom might know about X, but she may not know about Y and Z. So I know that when I'm in a meeting... I only share what I know that I feel comfortable other people knowing. 
you know, and that one-on-one, that's totally different. And I know to stick to our own stories, I have to recognize I don't have experience in everything. You know, I do not have children. So if I am talking to someone and they have issues with children, I'm not going to say, oh, so-and-so has the same exact experience. I might just say, have you ever talked to so-and-so? Let me give you her number. Because I don't have to know all the answers today. So I stick to my own stories. We we alcoholics are sensitive people. It takes some of us a long time to outgrow that serious handicap. And I just want to read on page 29, you know, what is the point of our stories? What is the point of the stories in the back of the book? It says, further on, clear-cut directions are given showing how we recovered. So that's the first 164 pages. That's the whole purpose of this, of this program. These are followed by 42 personal stories. Each individual in his personal story is described in his own language and from his own point of view the way he established his relationship with God. So we're not talking about our, you know, how, it's not showing us how we stopped eating. We just stopped eating. We've done thousands of diets. How do we, we establish that relationship with God so that we no longer want to eat? And I'll continue. These give a fair cross-section of our membership and clear-cut idea of what has actually happened in our lives. We hope no one will consider these self-revealing accounts in bad taste. Our hope is that many alcoholics, men and women, desperate in need, will see these pages, and we believe that it's only by fully disclosing ourselves and our problems that we will persuade him to say, yes, I am one of them too, I must have that thing. So the whole purpose of us sharing our stories is to inspire someone to go back to the front of the book, go to the first 164 pages, and also experience recovery from this hopelessly, from this seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph? Hi, this is Melanie. Melanie, go ahead. Hi, good morning, Christy. My name is Melanie. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater calling in from Minnesota today. And I'm looking at this, you know, kind of taking a step back. And um, we are talking about the family afterwards, family coming together afterwards, and the, the, the details of that, that move back to wholeness is outlined here. And, of course, we're looking at another piece that is obviously very, very critical to the restoration of this family, and that is about cease and desist. You know, we had this broken member. We spoke, you know, horribly about this person. Um, The town spoke horribly perhaps about this person. Now we're coming back. So we're going to come together almost with this oath, and these are the guidelines for that piece too. Very important. You know, after only two and a half pages or so that we're talking about this part. And in um, the community that I was raised in of 400 people, there was a clear distinction between the Hatfields and McCoys, so to say. And you could never be, you could never be one that was perhaps more superior. And if they thought it was, you know, something they wanted to do and talk about, they destroyed reputation after reputation after reputation of even young people in my high school environment that they were never, ever, from family heritage, ever able to move out of to become something in that very small community. It did not happen. It wasn't allowed because of the amount of gossip. Destroyed lives unless, you had the good fortune to move away from that town and out of that state to start a life brand new 
of your own spiritual accord. That has been, was my personal experience in this town of family members. So it is very, very critical. This is not a small issue. This is absolutely fundamental in restoration of families. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Melanie. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph? This is Paula. May I share? Sure, Paula. Go ahead. Thank you. I'm going to scoot on down to the um, last couple of uh, sentences. starts with members of a family, so there you go, should watch such matters carefully as was written above. But now to be on watch is to be on guard. To be on guard means to be very careful. And this is what it's saying. To be should watch such matters carefully for one. Now look at, they're, they're being very specific here. Not dozens. For one careless, and that's it. Carefully. Inconsiderate remark has been known to raise the very devil. And then I love this part because I'm not alone here. They put a we here. We alcoholics, yeah, that would be me in line. Our sensitive people, oh, darn, sure we are. What I could dish out, sweetheart, I couldn't take in. It takes some of us a long time, now they're very specific here, to outgrow. Outgrow that serious handicap. A handicap is something that hinders your growth. It's a difficulty. That's what I need to outgrow. Honey, I was so sensitive. Sure, some things were said that were unkind. But let me tell you something. My mind made them bigger than what they were. What I said, of course, became smaller than what it was. I didn't understand balance. But here you are in recovery. And here they're giving you such help along the way because we are in need of help. And we alcoholics are sensitive people. Yes. And it does take some of us a long time to outgrow that serious handicap. And I'm still working on it. Thank you for allowing me to share. And with that, I do pass. Thank you, Paula. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph? Good morning. It's Leah. Leah, go ahead. Hey, good morning, Christy. Good morning, everybody. My name is Leah. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Uh, important teaching in these paragraphs here. It says, another principle we observe carefully is that we do not relate intimate experiences of another person unless we are sure he would approve. We find it better when possible to stick to our own stories. Um, you know, obviously, whether it's the previous paragraph, speaking of the families of Alcoholics Anonymous, um, knowing about one another or, um, you know, individual members in a family, uh, you know, how beautiful it is when we can be disciplined and submit ourselves to these spiritual principles and to keep, uh, you know, information that we may know about others to ourselves. Uh, you know, I know from my personal experience with a home group in Minnesota for over a decade, uh, certainly we knew about each other's spouses, partners, uh, we knew uh, some of the siblings, we knew the family members, uh, you know, we knew perhaps some of the challenges and trials and tribulations that were occurring under each uh, individual family roofs, 
um, and we cared about one another and we supported one another, but we never crossed the line about, um, you know, speaking, uh, you know, to one another in ridicule uh, about another person or about another family member. You know, only were things discussed in order to get together to encourage, to support, to help out a difficult situation. Uh, there was, you know, just such integrity, absolute integrity where principles were above personalities. And that's through the disciplining um, by these spiritual principles, that if each person is spiritually led, then as a group, whether that group is in your face-to-face meeting or on a phone meeting or in your own family, um, that group as a whole will be spiritually led because the reality is loose lips sink ships. You know, when we start talking about one another in a way that is of ridicule or we relate intimate experiences of other people or we start gossiping, uh, that is divisive and it will destroy But isn't it a beautiful thing if each one of us, again, whether in a family, because this is the family afterward, and this is speaking of the many challenges and readjustments facing family members of the recovering alcoholic, or whether it's in a face-to-face group, because we're talking principles here. We're learning how to live here. How do we live in harmony? How do we bring joy where we go? How do we bring uh, cooperation? Well, it's all about these principles. You know, we have an opportunity now to bring peace and to bring uh, harmony into different environments, and it all starts with each one of us individually. Am I willing to submit to something higher than my desires? Am I willing to surrender to something greater for the greater good rather than trying to quench my curiosity? or to uh, be divisive or cutting. So very, very important, uh, you know, guidance here. You know, before I make a comment, is it true, Leah? Is what you're about to say true? Is it kind? Will it help someone's recovery? Is it going to uplift someone, even in a family? I don't remark to the other kids about the other kids. You won't believe what your sister did today. Why would I do that? That is not going to encourage or uplift the individuals in the family, nor will it encourage their unity of one another and their respect for one another and their love for one another and their honor for one another. So very important principles, again, these apply to all facets of life, whether it's in your workplace, in the home, or on this line. Are we each individually willing to to serve a different master beyond self Self will run riot. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. I'm going to ask Paula to read the next. Why don't you read the next couple of paragraphs, Paula? The next two paragraphs. This would be Paula Recovered Compulsive Overeater. Many alcoholics are enthusiastic. They run to extremes. At the beginning of recovery, a man will take, as a rule, one of two directions. He may either plunge into a frantic attempt to get on his feet in business, or he may be so enthralled by his new life that he talks or thinks of little else. In either case, he's, in either case certain family problems will arise. With these, we have had experiences galore. 
We think it dangerous if he rushes headlong at his economic problems. The family will be affected also, pleasantly at first, as they feel their money troubles are about to be solved. Then not so pleasantly as they find themselves neglected. Dad may be tired at night and preoccupied by day. He may take small interest in the children and may show irritation when reproved for his delinquencies, if not irritable. He may seem dull and boring, not gay and affectionate as the family would like him to be. Mother may complain of inattention. They are all disappointed and often let him feel it. Beginning with such complaints, the barrier arises. He is straining every nerve to make up for lost time. He is striving to recover fortune and reputations and feels he is doing very well. I'm going to go to the beginning because this is the beginning here, and we see here a man that is um, just recovered. He's come to that place, that wonderful utopia, and um, it says here he can go in two ways. And that is very true. He may go here. He may be enthralled by his new life that he talks or thinks of little else. Hmm, that's got a familiar ring to it. In either case, certain family problems will arise. You know, after a while, you, you can look and you see the rolling of the eyes. Oh, not again, Dad. Come on, drop it. With those we have had, experiences galore. Not one. Sounds like many experiences here. And then it goes on, and I'm just not going. I'm not going to go into all of it, but I will like to go to. They are all disappointed. They thought it was going to be different. They thought it was going to like be like before, but it wasn't even like that before. It was going to be better than ever. But see, the building process takes a building. Go to the construction site. What do you see? You see the big dumpster, by the way. You see the building materials, by the way. You have those 12 steps. They're your materials. And who is your new director and guide here? God himself. That's your new employer. But they are disappointed and will often let him feel it. Beginning with such complaints, there it is. A barrier arises. Now, Dad is or whoever in this family is straining every nerve to make up for lost time. Time is done. Time is done. The past is the past. But you can utilize it and use it to your best advantage, and that's God himself working within your life. He is straining every nerve to make up for lost time. I repeated that. He is striving to recover fortune and reputation, and he feels he's doing very well. We don't even see what is around us. like the man that comes out of the tornado, and he comes out of the, the hurricane, the cellar, and he says, Wow, look at this. The wind stopped blowing. Oh, sweetheart, take another look. Take another look at the damaged house, the trees that are torn down, that are uprooted. So there again, a lesson to be learned. Thank you for allowing me to share. And with that, I do pass. Thank you, Paula. Would anyone else like to share on these two paragraphs? This is Robin. Robin, go ahead. Hi, Christy. Uh, this is Robin again. I'm a compulsive overeater. Um, this makes me think about how when I came in, I thought that I was going to be zapped to um, some fairy tale land. I mean, I'd been so miserable for so many years, and I thought, okay, now I'm abstinent. Now everything's going to change, and life is going to be just really wonderful. And I remember um, my sponsor saying to me, 
you, um, and I don't even remember what the situation was anymore, but I remember what she said to me was, you know, life doesn't just get better magically because we get abstinent. Um, we never promised you that you'd be happy all the time. What we promised you was that you'd have tools to get through the hard stuff of life. And that has been so true. Um, you know, you put down the food, you put down the alcohol, and life is out there. <laughs> this is where, you know, this is where the work happens. And what we're seeing in this, these two paragraphs is that um, there is work to be done. Things, it, It's not just going to magically happen. Just because we wish and hope that now everything is going to be great, there is a lot of... Um, structure that needs to take place in order for me to set up a life around my in order for me to set up a life around myself that's healthy because it hasn't been healthy before I became abstinent before I found my higher power before I found you all um you know it, the family will uh, will be affected also um and he is striving to recover fortune and reputation and feels he is doing very well. Well, you know, it takes a while for these things to unfold. And it's all about balance. It's For me, it's about looking at um, what I'm walking through and seeing that it, it takes a little bit of effort and work. I don't get to be an 11-year-old looking out on the world anymore thinking that you all have everything and that you got it easily. Now as an adult, I can see that life takes a little bit of work. And um, what that's going to mean is that I use these steps, I use the fellowship, I use my higher power to get things done um, and to not ignore these things, but to actually work on them and ask for the help that I need to use the tools that I'm given to put together a life for myself again that's healthier than the one I had before. Uh, so, you know, the, once again, the thing that I'm looking at here is when I come in, get abstinent, things just don't magically happen. And that's as it should be. That's the way the universe is. That's the way life is in the adult world that things do take work and that um, you don't just zap your wand and everything's great. So with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Robin. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph? This is Sarah. Can I share? Sure, Sarah. Go ahead. Um, here. Many alcoholics are enthusiasts. They run to extremes. This is so true for me. And coming into program... When I came in, and just there's a whole bunch of lines here that just are standing out on um, plunging into a frantic attempt to get onto his feet in business, or he may be so enthralled by his new life that he talks or thinks of little else. Um, you know, the program is all-encompassing in life. And when I first came in and just getting rid of the the foods, the withdrawal, from the foods was all-encompassing, and it got worse before it got better. It was just so, the withdrawal was so painful until I, until my body just, you know, readjusted to having normal food in it. And I think that that's true in terms of the totality of the program for my family. Um, in the beginning, it's like um, a withdrawal to be totally immersed in a whole new way of thinking, a whole new way of being, a whole new plane of thinking and of living. And 
here he says he may seem dull and boring, not gay and affectionate as the family would like him to be, you know, um, maybe not as fun, more, you know, spiritual, more only talking about God and, you know, this newfound life that is a lifeline that is just giving new life to and meaning to a life that was fully self-centered and and turning from a self-centered existence to a God-centered existence. And, you know, kids may not, you know, appreciate that. um, But this is giving me um, just an awareness of, of the process. And also, it's also teaching me sensitivity that I need to not just live in my little spiritual, you know, bubble, but that I need to be gay and affectionate with my family. And I need to learn as I incorporate this whole new way of being into my into my very existence, I need to consider the effects that it's having on the members of my family and to um you know it's and it's given us many directions you know to, to the wives in here about and to other and to other compulsive overeaters um you know to the newcomers of not, or the person is still suffering, to not be judgmental and not um, be a bone in the throat of other people, but to to learn to incorporate this. Here he's straining every nerve to make up for lost time. He's striving to recover fortune and reputation. He feels he's doing very well. Yeah, you know, when you're incorporating these things, you feel so good. It feels so good to live it, to lead a spiritual life. We need to um I need to. I'm you know, I'm learning um and it's sometimes straining every nerve to learn how to incorporate this into my being and to remember and to put this recovery to recover this recovery from this, you know, from seemingly hopeless states of mind and body of 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 whole ways of thinking as as a priority in my life but not to ignore the prior the other priorities in my life and to still be a presence and a fun and happy presence and an enjoyable presence in the lives of other people who are not sitting on the phone every single morning for an hour learning about God and his and his involvement in our lives the rest of the planet's not doing that and they not they may not understand or appreciate or even want to hear about this new found existence that I'm living in I need to be um to be a presence in their life as well you know where they're at and um and this is just really giving me directions on you know how to do that in in a way in a living a life of principles and integrity and and I'm very grateful thank you Thank you, Sarah. I'm Christy, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. And um, I like this. Uh, many alcoholics are enthusiasts. They run to extremes. And then uh, on page 126, he may be so enthralled by his new life that he talks or thinks of little else. Um, in either case, certain family problems will arise. And, you know, imagine, if you will, Christy at 300 pounds sitting on the couch living with a partner who 
you know, wanted me to get up off the couch and go outside. You know, let's go do something. Let's go to a movie. Let's go walk around somewhere. I mean, even something you'd think I would like to do. Let's go walk around at the mall. You know, anything, anything. Will you come and spend time with me doing something besides sitting on the couch, talking about how miserable you are? You know, anything, anything. And, uh, um, you know, that's what it was like to live with me. That's what it's like to live with me in active addiction. And then um, me getting to the point where I, you know, I was done. I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. And I, I will tell you that recovery has saved my life. It saved my life. And uh, I, I still to this day put my recovery first. I put my recovery first, and I pour everything I have into it. But when I first got into recovery, I was the only one that was excited about it in my house. Um, you know, certainly my partner expressed concern and, um, you know, walked on eggshells around me, as many people did when I am in active addiction. It's not pretty. But, um, you know, I was extremely excited, and all of a sudden I was you know, getting showered and putting on something besides my 3X pair of shorts, which was the only thing I could wear, and getting dressed up and going to meetings, you know, and it created a rift in the house, and I didn't back down. I mean, for better or for worse, that's just the way it was. I needed to pour myself into recovery in the same way I poured myself into addiction, and um, you know, it, it does, it may, in, in your cases, I don't know, but in my case, there were family problems that arose. Um, and unfortunately for me, I mean, because of other situations, the, the relationship ended, and I'm not telling you that, <laughs> you know, take away your hopes and dreams of being in a healthy relationship, because I was, I did have that opportunity, you know, certainly after that relationship ended, after some time for me in recovery. And, you know, I met someone who was in recovery. So we spoke the same language, and it was wonderful. But um, I will tell you that, uh, you know, I that was what I had to do to save my life. That was what I had to do to save my life. And um, I, I still to this day put my recovery first. I put my recovery first in my life, and it has served me well. It has saved my life. It has transformed my life in ways I never thought possible, and it has made me a better person to be around in all areas of my life, including you know in my home, even when I'm the only one here. And um, I'm very grateful for that, and with that I'll pass. Is there anyone else who would like to share on this, uh, these two paragraphs? It's Monica. Monica, go ahead, please. Good morning, Christy. Good morning, everyone. My name is Monica. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Many alcoholics are enthusiasts. They run to extremes. So what's enthusiast mean? It means someone who becomes intensely absorbed in an interest. They run to extremes. It's all or nothing. You know, I definitely uh, fit in that category. Um, you know, all or nothing, or you start something new and the excitement and, and you know, I, I all absorb, that's all I can think about, do, you know, and my um, um, dieting was that way too, you know, it's, it's black and white, black or white, uh, I was either 100% uh, good or 100% bad, and this is a process, and what God has done for me is he said, you know, Monica, I also 
made the color gray. And working this process, working these steps, doing this work, living the principles, you know, has given me some balance. Because we are, I am a person to, of extreme, one way or the other. And this, and this is uh, the, for the family afterward. You know, we have to realize that everybody's going through a process here. The one who's recovering from compulsive overeating or alcoholism. And it's also a process for the whole family. They're having to do this too. And there's always expectations. You know, we know how our expectations of others, you know, led to our resentments. And, you know, so the, the family members are going to have expectations too. And hopefully here everybody will learn some balance, especially the person who is recovering, that there, you know, there, there are some, there is gray. It doesn't have to be black and white. And that um, has made a big difference in my life. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Monica. Would anyone else like to share on these two paragraphs? Why don't we move on? Marsha, would you please read the next two paragraphs? Okay. Uh, this is Marsha. I'm a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. Sometimes mother and children don't think so. Having been neglected and misused in the past, they think father owes them more than they are getting. They want him to make a fuss over them. They expect him to give them the nice times they used to have before he drank so much and to show his contrition for what they suffered. But dad doesn't give freely of himself. Resentment grows. He becomes less communicative. Sometimes he explodes over a trifle. The family is mystified. They criticize, pointing out how he is falling down on his spiritual program. And I'm sorry, I didn't hear. Did you want me to continue to the next paragraph? Yes, if you could. Thanks, Marsha. Sure. Okay. This sort of thing can be avoided. Both father and the family are mistaken, though each side may have some justification. It is of little use to argue and only makes the impasse worse. The family must realize that dad, though marvelously improved, is still convalescing. They should be thankful he is sober and able to be of this world once more. Let them praise his progress. Let them remember that his drinking wrought all kinds of damage that may take long to repair. If they sense these things, they will not take so seriously his periods of crankiness, depression, or apathy, which will disappear when there is tolerance, love, and spiritual understanding. My name is Marcia. Again, uh, again I'm a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. Um, this reminds me of the passage earlier in the big book where it says, we are like men who have lost their legs. They can never grow new ones. And right now, we're the family, my family, is uh, you know, dealing with the person who is now using a prosthetic. Uh, and my prosthetic is a higher power. Um, and I'm relying a lot on God to direct my life and what I do and the actions that I take and the decisions that I make with my family. And sometimes the decisions that I make with my family aren't necessarily the decisions that they agree with. Um, I, I am not as attentive as I used to be, um, but it's because I need to, I need to separate myself from, from them. I need to stay out of their business. I was, they, they're used to dealing with the Marsha who was controlling and taking charge and, and always somebody they could rely on. And for me, um, 
you know, that, that caused a world of resentment. And, um, and I, I got into their business and that, that there was resentment on their part and, and rightly so. So as a result, this is the Marsha who has taken, um, taken steps to recover and, and to learn how to deal with life without trying to control everything, without trying to control them and without uh, being so angry and resentful towards them. And sometimes there's some resentment from them that I can't be everything that they need me to be for them. Um, but this is, this is the new, this is my new way of living. And it's through the 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous that I could be recovered and ultimately be, be more available to them than they could, could have ever thought um, that I was before. I mean, and, and our relationships are definitely so much better. I mean, yeah, I'm not just doing the same things that I used to do. What I'm doing, my, our, our relationships are, are, are vastly different, so much more grown up than they were before and not so enmeshed and not so, um, definitely not so controlling, particularly for me, uh, the one who had to have everything just the way they were supposed to, I thought they should be. Now it's more, okay, this is the way it is, and I'm not in charge. And uh, believe it or not, uh, I think we have all benefited from that, and I am truly grateful. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Marsha. Would anyone else like to share on these two paragraphs? This is Leah. Leah, go ahead. Thank you so much. Uh, again, we're in the chapter, The Family Afterward, which is giving some guidelines uh, to how this family is going to uh, continue as a unit after um, all the destruction has occurred due to alcoholism, and now this uh, family member is recovered, you know, so it speaks of these challenges and it speaks of this readjustment period that faces these family members. And of course, it's stressing here the importance of living by spiritual principles, not just the alcoholic, but the family members, as a means of restoring the stability or, you know, creating stability perhaps for the first time and and trust and integrity with family members. It says here... um, you know, it is of little use to argue and only makes the impasse worse. You know, this is a challenging situation. It's a difficult situation. When when uh, we get into recovery, recovery has to be number one. It either has to come first or it will be last. <laughs> That's just the reality of it all. So, you know, uh, the family members understandably you know, they think, well, you know, their their loved one is going to get into recovery and all of a sudden he's going to be available at all times, you know, where he used to not be available because he was busy lying in the gutter or hanging out in a cell. <laughs> now he's going to be available all the time and they're finding out, no, you know, actually uh, recovery is a process that demands uh, a lot of time and attention uh, in meetings with sponsors, um, you know, putting putting recovery first. It says, but dad doesn't give freely of himself. Resentment grows. He becomes still less communicative. Um, you know, it requires, especially the early infancy stages of recovery, requires kind of a pulling away of the alcoholic and um, 
you know, being reparented by these principles and 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 a and a group of people who are recovered and uh you know were not always available initially during this process it says it is of little use to argue and only makes the impasse worse let them remember that is drinking rot all kinds of damage that may take long to repair if they sense these things they will not take so seriously his periods of crankiness etc um, you know, earlier in the text, the big book talks about alcoholism, that people don't feel sorry for the alcoholic like they do if a person has cancer, because with it, with alcoholism goes the annihilation of all the things worthwhile in life. It engulfs all whose suff- lives touch the sufferers. It brings misunderstanding, fierce resentment, financial insecurity, disgusted friends and employers, warped lives of blameless children. Obviously, the family has been through a lot. There is a long period of reconstruction ahead. Recovery is not an overnight sensation. Neither is the rebuilding of a family. It takes time. And we all have to remember that um, it takes more time and effort to rebuild than it does to to destroy. It takes time and effort to rebuild a marriage, time and effort to rebuild relationships with children. It takes time and effort and and dedication. It is not going to be easy street, but it is possible. That's the message of hope here that the big book offers, that yes, yes, through these 12 principles, through these principles and these 12 steps, men and women got sober, they stayed sober, and their families were reunited. So although it may not be a pretty picture here that we're reading, it is a message of hope, of what is possible when you dedicate your life, (laughs) as hard as that might be to swallow there, and when you dedicate your life to the obedience and the following of this program of recovery. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Leah, and thank you to everyone who has shared. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 64, or I'm sorry, 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Eddie, are you available to read A Vision for You? Good morning. This is Eddie. I'm here. Okay. Let me just find my page here. Here we go. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We we shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then, pass.